This is the Purpose Church Podcast. We exist to help every person live on purpose. It is our prayer that this message helps you experience God in a brand new way. I'm glad that you are here. I'm excited about part two of this isn't what I pictured. And last week we ended on a, on a high note on faith. And my goal today is just to build on that, build on what, what God started in us last week. Because there have been a lot of times in our lives, and maybe the same is true for you, where you look at maybe your life or a part of your life and you think, this isn't what I pictured. And sometimes it's maybe in funny things, like Pastor Lena shared last week about hotel description and hotel reality. This isn't what I pictured. And, and sometimes it's that dress you bought online and then it shows up. This is not what I pictured. And sometimes it's the outfit you buy and it looks good in the dressing room. Why does that happen? Where is the magic in that? And then you get it home and you pair it with the shoes and all the things. And you're like, this, this isn't what I, I pictured. Got to go to plan B. You know what I'm saying? Plan B. And then sometimes it's in more serious things. Uh, uh, parent initiation is you have a birth plan. And all the experienced parents laugh had a birth plan, like we're going to go to the birth center. Uh, this was with Kaylin. We're going to go to the birth center. We're going to have her. We're going to take her home later. And then, uh, you know, after five days of NICU, we're like, well, this isn't really what I pictured. This is like the parent initiation. You no longer have control. You have no control. So we can laugh at a birth plan. Parent, like you have no control. And that's just kind of the initiation to it. It's like, this isn't what I pictured. Sometimes it's funny stuff. Sometimes it's not funny stuff. Sometimes there are big moments in life. There's a moment where there's a wedding, and you're at the altar, there's a bride and groom. Years later, maybe facing divorce, and it's like, well, this for sure, this isn't what I pictured. And, and maybe there was a, a series of financial difficulties, maybe bad decision-making, maybe, maybe uh, lack of wisdom in some things, maybe out-of-control spending, maybe just unfortunate hard times, but... Whatever the case, maybe you find yourself filing bankruptcy and, and you look at your financial situation and you're thinking, this isn't what I pictured. Maybe you find yourself loading up a U-Haul or a trailer to move across the country, starting over again, maybe far away from family and you're thinking, this isn't what I pictured. Maybe you find yourself single parenting and you find yourself juggling all the things by yourself and you think, this for sure is not what I pictured. And sometimes we, we've been able to walk with couples through the pain of infertility where they picture themselves with a growing family and, and lots of kids and yet they struggle with infertility and this isn't what they pictured. There are some people, they maybe picture themselves married and with children and all these things by a certain age and find themselves single and they think, God, this isn't what I pictured. And for many of us, we know and have walked through the, the picture of there's a diagnosis and there's treatment. And then oftentimes, unfortunately, there's loss that comes after that. We lose someone to cancer too soon. A loved one. And we just think, this isn't what I pictured. I even think of my friend, her name is Brittany, and she was married very young, and they had a baby, and soon after, he was diagnosed with leukemia, and he passed away after a, a long battle with it, and she was 24, 25, and a widow with a baby. And I know she was thinking, this isn't what I pictured. This isn't what I pictured. And, and you know, the list could go on, unfortunately, of the things we face in life, the, the loss that we go through, and we think, this isn't what I pictured. 
And the Christmas story that we're looking at today, every single person or group of people in the Christmas story could have, and maybe even did, say the same thing. This isn't what I pictured. So we're in good company. We talked a little bit about these last week, but there was Mary, a very young teenager, unmarried and yet pregnant. And I am grateful that we live in a society that has multiple resources for um, teen girls who are pregnant, whether it's through getting their education or, you know, a number of resources. I think that is a very good thing. It hasn't always been that way. If you could think back to maybe even uh, the 50s, 1950. For a young girl, this would have been social suicide. There were no resources available. It was shunned upon the fact that I would even stand and publicly say the word pregnant would have been very taboo, much less to be a pregnant teenager would have been, would have been awful. So if you can imagine even thousands of years before that, in a very religious community, for Mary to have found herself as an unmarried pregnant girl, it would have been social suicide. She would have been um, shamed and outcast from her family, shamed and outcast from all of society. She would have had no resources available to her. It would have been awful. This wasn't what she pictured. We thought about it a little bit through the lens of Joseph. It for sure wasn't what he pictured. If this meant public shame for Mary, it meant the same for him. And then I think about maybe even his hometown. If Jesus came as the savior of the world, his hometown thinks this is a homeless baby born to unwed teenagers in a working class family. I don't think that this is actually going to be the Messiah. This isn't, this isn't what we pictured for our Messiah. And the religious leaders, for sure, this is not what they pictured for the Messiah. The one who hangs out with prostitutes and tax collectors and, and those who were the marginalized in society. He defended women, those from the wrong side of the tracks, those of the wrong ethnicity, the, those who everybody else pushed aside. That's who Jesus sat with and ate with. It wasn't who the relig- religious leaders pictured being the Messiah. And then for everybody else who was around him, they expected a king. This wasn't what they pictured. A homeless baby to unwed teen parents. This isn't what they pictured. They pictured a king coming in kingly ways with all the pomp and circumstances or pomp and circumstance and all the royalty that comes with being a king. This was not that. And in fact, even his disciples, they could have said, this isn't what we pictured. You're washing my feet. You're, you're behaving like a lowly servant and yet you are a king. This isn't what we pictured. So if you've ever come to a point in your life where you think this isn't what I pictured, you are in good company today. Because there are times where we have hopes and dreams and, and what we imagine our lives turning out like. And then we go through different circumstances and life ends up in a different direction. So we've got our expectations over here and we've got our reality over here and there leaves a gap in the middle. And for some of us, sometimes this gap can feel like a very wide chasm. And what happens in this gap is that we fill it with legitimate feelings, like it's, it's disappointment. Because maybe we've gone through loss, and there's grief, and there's pain, and there's difficulty. Maybe there's anger, there's resentment. And if we're honest, maybe some of those feelings are even directed towards God. God, I followed you. God, I did what you said. God, I went through the hard stuff. And then this is still not what I pictured. Maybe some of these things are directed towards God. 
The question is, when, when we have those feelings and we have those emotions and those responses to the gap between our expectation and our reality, what do we do with these feelings? I have a few ideas. I'm sure that we could collaborate and add to them, but I came up with a few. The first one is we stuff them. We got stuffers in here. Any stuffers? Y'all are the scary ones to me, honestly, because eventually you stuff and stuff and stuff. What happens? You're going to explode, which is the second one. You just explode already. Like you're ready to explode, always right underneath the surface, ready to explode. Number three are the ignorers. This reminds me of the meme of the child on the swing and everything is on fire behind them. I'm fine. Everything's fine. Nothing's going on. We're good. We're good. We're good. They're like, you don't have to smile. It's all right. They're like, no, they, they will tell you everything is fine. I'm like, I think you meant fire. I think everything's on fire. No, it's fine. It's fine. So we've got our stuffers, our exploders, our ignorers. And then we have our followers, those who follow their feelings, those who believe their feeling as fact, and they follow the feelings they wait on their feelings. They, they, they believe that feelings are true north. Feelings are the truth tellers and they just follow feelings. And then we have our medicators. There's a variety of ways in which we can medicate our feelings. There's social media and just the scrolling, which studies show that every time we do that, there's, there are dopamine releases in our brain. And so a lot of us, when we start to experience feelings of discomfort, we go to grab for our phone. Do you know why we do that? Because we're starting to feel something uncomfortable and we need that dopamine hit to make us feel better. So a lot of us are medicating these unpleasant feelings with just mindless scrolling. There's the addiction of pornography, drugs, alcohol, overeating, shopping, Maybe just running out and playing, doing anything to avoid the feelings of the pain that we're experiencing because this isn't what I pictured. So in addition to all of these things, we've got stuffers, exploders, ignorers, followers, medicators. I'd like to submit to you a sixth option. And that is that of surrender. That we accept that this is how we feel and that we trust that we can bring these feelings fully to God. Because God cannot heal who we pretend to be. God can only heal the truest version of ourselves. And when we bring that to God and we are honest with him and we trust him, we accept the feelings for what they are, then he is able to move us through a healing process that will bring glory to him and redemption to our picture. Because there's good news for us is that God is a pro at redemption. God is a pro at redemption. He has a very long and consistent, in fact, he has a perfect track record when it comes to redeeming people's past. So those moments where people are like, this isn't what I pictured, give it to God because over and over again, God takes something out of nothing and he creates something beautiful. He did it in the very beginning through creation and he does it over and over as long as we will surrender it to him. Over and over, the Old Testament and the New Testament are both full of stories of God redeeming people's past. There were prostitutes and murderers, drunks and liars, those who were rebellious and even persecuted Christians. Some of them to name, you may know them, may know the stories of them. There's Rahab, there's Mary, there's David, who did basically all of the things and was still known as the one who was after God's heart. There was Jonah and Saul who became Paul and Noah. And yet the writer of Hebrews refers to all of these as the hero, heroes of the faith. God is a pro at redemption. Romans 8, 28 says it this way. It says, we know that in all things, 
all things, the good things, the bad things, the hard things, the painful things, the things that we've grieved, the things that were lost, the things that bring pain and disappointment, sorrow, frustration, anger, resentment, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purposes. So if you are here this morning, you love God and you are walking with God, you can trust God that there is a purpose in the picture. Even if you're saying this isn't what I pictured, you can trust that God has a purpose and a plan for it and he will use it to the fullness of his glory. So after you accept the picture of your past, accept your feelings from it for what it is, you allow God to redeem it, you can do that because you know that not only is God good, but God is good to you. God is good to you. He has never left you. He has never forsaken you. If God cares for the sparrow, how much more will he care for you? The Bible says he knows every hair on your head, that he has good in store for you, plans to prosper you, not plans to harm you. So it's this this opportunity where we can trust that not only God can, but God will provide all of our needs according to his riches and glory. I think there are a lot of us who believe in God, but we really need to believe God. We need to trust the source. Trust the source in what God is doing in us. Trust that he made you, he designed you, he knit you together in your mother's womb. He placed inside of you every gift, every talent, every passion. So if he not only made you, but he also made the owner's manual for you. So you can trust him. Because he knows you well, he will handle you with care. He will handle you with great intention and great attention. He knows you better than you know you. He also knows your future better than you know you. So all of that to say, he is trustworthy. He is trustworthy to surrender to him all of these feelings that we have when we find ourselves saying, this isn't what I pictured. You can surrender all of that to him. Isaiah 64, 8 says it this way. It says, yeah, you, Lord, are our father. We are the clay. You are the, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. And I think that it's important as followers of Jesus that we don't flip this and begin to tell the potter for which purposes he's making us. But he's the potter. We are the clay. He knows for which purposes he has for us. And we need to surrender that to him. If he is creating us to hold something beautiful, he determines that because he is the potter. So we can trust the source. So what is God's picture for your life? Have you asked him? If we are to accept all the things of this isn't what I pictured and we can reconcile the past and we know that God is going to use it for us, what about looking forward? What what is the picture that God has for us looking forward? God's picture for all of us according to his word is that we grow. I know that sounds really simple, but God's purpose for us is that we grow. We see this in just natural biology. None of us are in here as an infant still. Like we have all grown. And the same is true for us spiritually. The Bible even draws that comparison. That in that same way that we don't drink milk anymore, we should be maturing and growing in our faith. So there's a a way in which we grow. How do we grow spiritually? And it's really a simple thought. Not always easy, but simple. The way that we, re- we grow is that we remain through the pain. That we remain through the pain. So when the pain comes from, this isn't what I pictured, 
and, and this isn't what I pictured, brings all of these feelings of pain, sorrow, of loss. You remain in him through that. And when you remain in him through that, you will grow spiritually. It's resisting the temptation to quit. Because temptation to quit is always pulling on us. The siren song to take the easy road, to avoid pain, and to pursue only pleasure is always right there. Temptation to quit working out. Temptation to quit eating healthy. Temptation to quit being faithful. Temptation to quit trying in our marriage. Temptation to quit vigilantly parenting every moment of every day. To quit church. To quit serving. To quit small groups. To quit opening up to people. To quit trusting to quit getting up early, to quit pursuing God, to quit praying, to quit worshiping. There's always this temptation to quit. When was the last time you can remember being tempted to quit? I will answer for you, my own self. I was tempted to quit yesterday. And tomorrow I will say the same thing. The temptation is always there to quit because it is hard, because things get difficult. The gym that we go to knows this about human nature. So you have to sign up for a class. So inspired you signs up for a class. And if you can stay inspired through the free cancellation window, then you now enter into the, you have to pay for your now lack of inspiration. And they charge you $12, which may not seem like much, but on top of all the things, it adds up. And that $12, more times than not, it has to reconcile, inspired me, and now it's time for class me. Because they are never the same person. Never. This person always wants to quit. This person's like, why did you sign up for this? They are never the same person. The person, me at the grocery store, is not the same person, me at 9 o'clock at night. They are different people. Like, I want to quit all the things that I have worked for at that time. The temptation to quit is always there. It's always there. But if we don't quit, if we will remain, if we will stay through it, even when it's difficult, even when it's hard, even when it's painful, if we don't quit, we will grow. And growth is God's plan for us. Growth is God's picture for us. I think sometimes we've adopted this mentality from culture that not to be rude, but I think is probably an entitlement where we tell ourselves, it's not supposed to be this hard. Parenting is not supposed to be this hard. Marriage isn't supposed to be this hard. Financially planning for our lives and saving money. Like, it's just not supposed to be this hard. It's not supposed to be this hard to lose 10 pounds. Like, it's not supposed to be this hard. But in the same way, God asked Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when they came to him and they told God what they were doing and why. God asked them a question and he said, who told you that? So when we think the thought, it's not supposed to be this hard, I would ask you, who told you that? Who told you that? Who said it's not supposed to be this hard? Because in fact, Jesus told us the opposite. In fact, Jesus said the opposite. He said, he said in this life, you will face many troubles. This is good news today, y'all. Welcome to church. You will face many troubles. If you faced them in the past, great. You're going to face them again. None of us in this room will go one single day out of our lives outside of this room without facing troubles. These are a guarantee in our life that you will face trouble. There's another part to that verse. He continues. He says, in this life, you will face many troubles. But then he says, take heart because I have overcome the world. 
So the reality is that life is going to be hard, that there is going to be pain, that there is going to be difficulty. And so if all of our life is really a a series of various hardships, we have to choose our hard. We have to choose our heart. I think that sometimes we will think that and we will view pain or um, difficulties as an interruption to the normal. It is actually the normal. These difficulties, these troubles, this is the normal. This is part of our life. It's not interrupting normal. It is the normal. So if this is part of life, then we need to know that we have to choose our heart. And I would rather go through this with Jesus than without Jesus. I would rather go through it remaining in Jesus than not remaining with Jesus. I would rather go through it with the power of the Holy Spirit and the kindness and the comfort and the strength that comes from remaining in God than to do it on my own strength without him or in isolation. So if we remain, if we don't quit, we will grow because pain has the potential to transform us like nothing else. Pain is actually the gem of life. It is where we are strengthened for the things that God has for us. So when we remain, we grow, and this is God's plan for us. Shout the word remain. Remain. That was a good practice round. So we're going to do a little group activity. This is a group group lesson. We get a group grade participation, okay? We're going to read a couple of verses, and it's going to say the word remain. Every time it says the word remain, we're shouting it together. Practice round on three. We're going to say remain. Ready? One, two, three. Hey, great job, you guys. You're going to get an awesome grade. Okay, so we're going to read John 15. And the whole point of this uh, passage is to, to show us how we remain in him. And if we remain, we will grow. John 15, he says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. But if you Remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. The fruit comes from the remaining and the fruit brings glory to God. It continues. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you now. Remain in my love. You've only got a couple more. Do it with all your heart. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and in his love. Good job, guys. Give yourselves a hand. Y'all did awesome. The whole purpose of that was just to show you just how many times those few verses uses the word remain. A lot, right? You're like, another one? And another one? Okay, all right, got it. We got the point. God's desire for us is that we grow and you can't grow if you don't remain. If we, if we jump ship when it gets hard, we will lack the growth process that God is intending for us. So how do we remain? According to the scripture that we just read together, we remain by keeping his commands. Because God's commands for us are like the best guardrails that life has to offer that keep us from going into life's ditches if we will remain. So when you're going through difficult things and you're not sure what to do, keep doing what God says in his word to do. 
Just remain. Keep doing what he says to do. Stay in community. Continue to pray. Continue to worship. Continue to be open. Continue to be vulnerable. Continue to trust. Continue to love, to serve, to give, to forgive, to believe the best, to resist offense, to offer grace, to offer mercy, to choose kindness, to choose joy, to love, to choose selflessness. These are the fruits of the spirit. When we do these things, when we can remain in God's love, we will get through the pain of what we're experiencing. Are these things hard to do? Yes. Yes, these things are hard to do. Forgiving is hard. Believing the best is hard. Continuing to show up when you would rather not is hard. Especially when you are in the midst of something painful and difficult, it is hard. But so is the alternative. The alternative, quitting, starting over again, going through things in isolation, carrying the weight of resentment, bitterness, unforgiveness, Those things are hard also. So let's do it with God. Let's let's choose the right kind of hard. Let's, Let's remain in God. The Bible says that Abraham grew in faith. He had to learn. He had to grow. He had to be taught his faith. Abraham had to grow in faith. So to grow spiritually actually requires a plan, a holy strategy. 2023 has has been dubbed our year of strategy. And there are some times that going into a new year, I will ask God for a word. And sometimes he kindly answers that prayer and will give me a word for the year. And it's kind of like my anchor word for the year. And sometimes he does not. But this year, um, I don't even really know if I asked for it, but he kind of dropped this question into my heart for this next year. And here's the question. It is, what's your plan for that? I was like, okay. Well, that kind of goes in with what he was already saying, Lenin was saying about our year 2023 is a year of strategy, but God has given me this question that, that is simply, what is your plan for that? Because without a plan, hopes and dreams and goals, they're actually pretty meaningless. If you don't have a plan to execute those things, they just live up in the clouds. They never come down to earth and, and put their feet on the ground and do anything. If you don't have a plan for it, got to have a plan for our growth. All of us need a picture of something that we are moving towards. Whether it's in our jobs, in our careers, we need a picture of something that we're moving towards. In our marriages, we need a picture of something that we're moving towards. In our parenting, in our finances, we all need something that we are moving towards. And these things require a plan. So I have a couple of thoughts for you. It's really like one thought with a sub thought. (laughs) For us to help you grow into all that God has for you. And the first thing to help you grow, to help you remain, because there's no growth without the remaining. So to help you grow, number one is to be planted in God's house. To be planted in God's house. Because a seed that hops out of the soil, or as the parable teaches, a seed that gets snatched, the enemy's goal is to prevent the seed from remaining. Because that seed can't take root. And that seed can't flourish and that seed can't become what it's intended to become if it doesn't remain. So number one is to be planted in God's house. I want to show you this picture um, of a plant in my backyard. And I was having trouble remembering which child was responsible for this. And then I remember when I took this picture that the child responsible is the one hanging upside down uh, in the background. (laughs) And that would definitely be Bradley. But this plant, uh, this was around Halloween and we were carving a pumpkin and we were getting the seeds out and we were going to roast them. And so we were doing the whole thing and he kept snatching them. And he was like, can I go, can I go plant these? And I was like, 
sure, go plant all of them. I don't care. Because I don't grow things at my house. I grow children. We're trying to grow the church. I'm trying to grow in my marriage. Like, I don't have time to grow anything else. There's like this idealistic version of me that grows natural herbs and things in my backyard. I can go pick a cucumber or whatever. And then there's the reality of me that's like, I ain't got time for that. And I forget. And I'm just going to go to H-E-B. So things don't really survive at my house. So when he's like, can I go plant these? I'm like, you go with God, son. Take all the pumpkin seeds you want. So he kept coming in, snatching them. And he'd like run out like a little gremlin and he'd go plant these seeds. For a couple of days, he was like taking a little cup of water out. And then like, he did it in the middle of the yard. Like the worst part of our yard. The grass doesn't even grow there. I was like, this is where you want to put a seed? Like all the kids are running on it. Y'all's kids, you know, they're, everybody's running on this. The dog, it's the worst part of the yard. There was like no healthy soil. But lo and behold, one day I go out back and I was like, oh my goodness, there's a pumpkin growing in the middle of my backyard. <laughs> this was not, these were not ideal circumstances, but simply because the seed remained, it grew. Which is the point. You may not be in ideal circumstances, but if you will remain, you will grow. Just remain. So the one who grows isn't the one who's best looking or the smartest or the most talented or has the most opportunities. No. The one who grows is the one who remains. So if you will just remain in God's love, remain in God's commands, remain in God's house, you will grow. Psalm 92 says it this way. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. And they will stay fresh and green proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no wickedness in him. So if we're going to be a church that is thinking three generations beyond ourselves, we are setting up future generations simply if we remain. Simply if we will be planted in God's house. If we will be planted in God's house where it's not an option for us, we will be planted, we will grow. And if you need a mantra for yourself as you go into this, here's one. I'm gifting it to you. Just be all in. Your mantra can be, I'm all in. Because we're not spiritual event planners here. I'm not looking, I'm not looking to plan an event for anybody. We are looking to help you grow into all that God has for you. So whatever the house of God is doing, if you're planted in God's house, be all in. Are we doing 21 days of prayer? Be all in. Do we champion serving? Be all in. Do we believe in the power of small groups? Be all in. You're going to trust God in all areas? Be all in and trust him in your tithing. Trust him in your giving. Trust him with your time. Trust him to help you steward all that he has given you. Just be all in. Whatever the church is doing, be all in. Because when you are planted in the house of God, you will grow in your righteousness and it will impact future generations. Because I think a lot of us are, are growing older, but not always growing wiser. I think our families are full of older people who haven't also gotten wiser. And I want us to be of people who not only grow older, but grow wiser. Because I don't want to be just a, a 35-year-old Christian. I don't want to be, a, if, I don't, if I don't grow, I will not be a 35-year-old Christian. I'll have been a one-year-old Christian 35 times. If we're always starting over because we're not remaining, we hop out, we move along, the seed gets snatched. Imagine where you could be in 12 months from now if you go all in. 
If you do all the things, if you don't see church as, a, as just an event for you to attend on the weekends, but, but a family in which you belong to, and by the way, there's no place to learn uh, biblical principles and values than that in a family. Forgiveness, love, mercy. Family is a training ground for all of that. Church family included. We work these things out together. So as you think about your holy strategy for the next year, as you think about a a plan to help you take these goals and dreams that live up here and you want to help materialize them, we got you. We got you. If you will go all in, I promise that you will grow. And this is God's picture for you. So when it comes to 21 days of prayer, we are giving to you for free a book. It's a 21-day devotional uh, about prayer and fasting. Like fast with us, pray with us, learn about. This is a really good uh, devotional. I love the layout of it. I love that it's rich with scripture. It's super good. We're gonna actually have these available for you on January 1st on New Year's Day. So come, get your free book, be ready. Start thinking about even like um, what kind of fast. There's all kinds of resources out there. A lot of us will do what's called a Daniel fast. You can Google it, Pinterest it, whatever. There's lots of stuff out there. But if you will do that, And maybe you're saying, hey, I have never fasted before. Or maybe this is the only time of year that you fast. Well, that's 21 days more now than you've ever done before. How could 21 days of prayer hurt you? It's only going to help you. Like you will only grow from it. You will only get to know God more from it. So we are here to help you and resource you. Join us, be a part of what God is doing. Our marriages need a plan. We are either growing in our intimacy, in our communication, or we're drifting. Because time doesn't wait for us. Very few things will stay the same because time is this engine that keeps going. And so we're either moving forward or we're going backwards. Our character is either being developed. Our children are either being developed. Our marriage is either being developed. Our finances are either being developed or we're going backwards. It's, it's very unlikely that things will remain the same. So we might as well have a plan and direct where we're going with it. So to help you, we're gonna do things like a marriage conference. Come, be a part of it. We're going to have parenting workshops. Be a part of it. We're sending kids to camp. Be a part of it. We're sending students to camp. Be a part of it. If, you're, if this is your house, be planted and be all in and you will grow. You will grow. You will look up 12 months from now and you will have grown spiritually and you will progress in your faith. You will progress in your relationship with God. Right. One thing God has shown me in this season is that there's no such thing as intuition. The intuition's actually dumb. For example, we have a new puppy. His name is Joey. We were going to crate train Joey. We've never crate trained a dog before. And all the things that was our intuition on crate training Joey was wrong. If you know about crate training a dog, what I'm about to say is going to make you cringe on the inside. So just brace yourself. We were going to do all the things wrong. We were going to put the crate out in the garage. We were going to pop him on the nose when he whined. We were going to rub his nose when he had an accident. We're going to do it all wrong. And then we did some research. We started reading about it. We're like, oh, he needs to be in the family room where he's around lots of people, where it's not a punishment for him, but a cozy, safe place. And we're like, oh, well, we were actually going to do all the things wrong. And I think sometimes we're relying on intuition, but that's not real. Like Abraham had to grow in his faith. We have to grow in our faith. We have to grow in being a wife, grow in being a husband, grow in being a mom or a dad. We have to grow and we have to go to a source in in which we learn how to do these things. We have to have a plan for our growth. And Joey loves his crate, by the way. We call it his little apartment. So I'm glad that we trusted the source 
that, that it actually knew better than what we thought was our intuition because we had none intuition. It was just dumb ideas. We were all, we were totally wrong. And I think that, that, that applies in our lives. Like, no, this is what I feel about being married. This is how I feel about parent. This is how I feel about being in church. Like, no, let's, let's go to God's word and let, let's trust the source and let's do it God's way. So the big picture is just to be planted. Be planted, remain in God's word, even remaining through the pain. This is a second point, but think of it more as like a sub point. And that's to submit, submit to God. Just surrender your life to God. Surrender your pain, surrender your disappointment, surrender your emotions, bring the reality of what you're feeling and experiencing to him. And if we can surrender to God, we can allow God to be God because two things cannot be true at the same time. We cannot be our own God and let God be God. Those cannot be true at the same time. Either God is God or we are our own God. But if we're going to let God be the God of us, we need to submit to him in his ways for our lives. He's the potter. We are the clay. Hebrews 12 says it this way. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So if we're going to follow Jesus, it's not void of suffering. And I think sometimes maybe a prosperity gospel is even like, hey, if you're following Jesus, you will avoid all suffering. Well, actually, the gospel says that if we pick up our cross and follow, if we're going to follow Jesus, that means we pick up our cross, which is pain. But we can bring that fullness of it to him. It's this great exchange where we can give God the, the fullness of what we're feeling or experiencing or struggling with. And in exchange, he gives us hope. In exchange, he gives us healing. In exchange, he gives us deliverance. Hebrews 5, 7, and 8 says this. It says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son, though he was, this is talking about Jesus, so we see it modeled perfectly in Jesus. It says he learned obedience from what he suffered. So if we'll just do what God says to do, if we will submit ourselves to him, and do what he says to do and remain in him, remain planted in the house, we, we will grow. We will grow. And just as we talk about a seed, the scripture describes it this way, that the seed actually has to die for it to take root, to become the plant that it's supposed to. It says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. This is the picture of of redemption. This is the picture of resurrection. So even though it's like, hey, this isn't what I pictured, if we can surrender those feelings to God and trust that he's going to redeem it, there comes a resurrection from it. Because this picture is part of his purpose and his plan for us. There will be redemption. Resurrection is part of the Jesus story. In fact, the central message of Christ is that that suffering and death brings resurrection and transformation if we remain. If we remain. A lot of us think, this isn't what I pictured. And we get stuck in that place. And and all the people around Jesus at the time of his crucifixion could have said, this isn't what I pictured. And many of them did. They said, this isn't what I pictured. And because he wasn't what they pictured as the coming king and as the Messiah, they were were never able to switch the picture. They missed what God was wanting to do. They missed it. They missed salvation. They missed the transformation. They missed the opportunity because it wasn't what they pictured. They missed it. They missed what God was really trying to do. But God knew that that was what we needed. 
We needed that homeless baby born to teen parents out of wedlock to a working class family who hung out with the least of these and washed other people's feet and died a shameful death on our cross. God knew that's what we needed. So he didn't give us what, what was pictured. He gave us what was needed. And so maybe this isn't what you pictured, but maybe it's what you need. Maybe it's what you need. And, and if we can't embrace that this is the picture God has for us, we'll miss the deeper work of what God is wanting to do. And we'll miss the resurrection and we'll miss the redemption of it if we get stuck on the fact that this isn't what I pictured. So I wanna help you today to live life on purpose, to have a holy plan for what God wants to do in you this next year. And it, I think, involves a couple of things. And the, this leads us to our response time. And there's an opportunity for us to surrender to God the thing that maybe we've been carrying for a long time. The thing that maybe you've been holding on to, those feelings of disappointment, of grief, of loss. I would encourage you today to pray with somebody. And if your immediate reaction when I said those words was, hard no, then it's probably for you. And would you show him that you're serious about surrendering to him by even coming down for prayer today to release those things to God? There's something very powerful about when you can say things out loud and agree with somebody in prayer. So if there are things that you've been holding on to that when you think about it, there's still those emotions and you're going through that process, but can you invite God into it? Can you invite God into it? Can you remain in him and trust him to walk you through it? This prayer time is for you to surrender those things to him. And then I'm also gonna ask God to speak to you what it is you need a plan for. You need a plan for growth, for your marriage. You need a picture of something that you're moving towards. What is it you're wanting to grow in? Do you have a plan for that? And I'm just gonna ask that God will show you really what those things are that, that you need a plan for and that you talk to somebody about it. If you're married, talk to your spouse. Talk to a trusted friend. Talk to somebody in here, but talk to somebody about it. And prayer partners, you guys can go ahead and come on down. And if y'all would go ahead and stand. Part of our response time is also that we take communion. And the beautiful thing about the opportunity of communion is that we can come and we can repent for the, repent for, there's a variety of things. It depends on where you are in your relationship with God. Maybe, maybe repenting for the fact that we've held on to it and didn't trust him with it. Maybe uh, just repenting that we didn't believe that he would be kind to us. But God is good and he is good to you. So as you take communion, starting with just a place of repentance, and then as you need a plan, pray with somebody. Come down and let them agree with you. Say out loud, like, I need, I need a plan for my marriage. I need a plan for date nights. I need a plan in my parenting. And be open about that. Pray with somebody. And that helps, to, helps you in your next steps, that it doesn't just stay in your heart or in your mind, but there's somebody out there that can can be praying for you. And they, they are here today and they are ready to pray for you. So I'm gonna pray over you. And then when the band starts, you're welcome to come down and receive communion and then pray with somebody as well. Lord, we thank you for this morning. God, we surrender to you today. God, we surrender all of our feelings of disappointments of this isn't what I pictured. God, all of those feelings that come with it of, of pain, of frustration, of grief, of loss, sadness, anger, resentment, 
unforgiveness. God, God, we release those things to you. And God, as from the very beginning, you create something out of nothing. And God, I release these things to you in this great exchange that instead we release these things to you for hope, for healing, for transformation. And God, for the one who's tempted to quit, God, would you strengthen them in their remaining today? God, for the one who's just feeling tired or worn out or wants to quit, would you strengthen them today? God, would you strengthen their resolve to stay? God, would we be people of yes and amen? So be it. If this is part of my picture, God, I believe that it's part of my purpose. God, I'm not gonna quit. God, I'm not gonna give up. God, I'm gonna stay the course because I know that you have something for me. God, we surrender these things to you. And, and Lord, I ask that even in this moment as we, as we sing this next song about your goodness, God, would you put in our hearts what is, what is the plan for us? God, what, what is the holy strategy you would have for each one of us? God, in what ways do we need to, to have a plan, to have a strategy? And, and Lord, for the one who's maybe just even resisting coming down to get prayer, God, would they take that step of, of courage, of faith, and come down and get prayer for it today? God, I just pray that there's a, a spirit of healing in here today. God, as people surrender and trust you with their next steps, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Church Podcast. If God used this message to impact your life, tell us your story by emailing mystory@thepurposechurch.com. Be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website at thepurposechurch.com to get connected and receive all the latest information. 